Welcome to the Layer 8 Podcast. This podcast is in conjunction with the Layer 8 Conference, which is happening for the third year on Saturday, June 6th, 2020 in Providence, Rhode Island. The Layer 8 Conference is the first one to solely focus on social engineering and open source intelligence, or OSINT, gathering. Social engineers and OSINT investigators always seem to have a great story, and you can hear many of those stories through their presentations at the conference. But not every story can fill a whole presentation, and not all storytellers can get to the conference, which brings us here. This podcast will only be stories told by the investigators themselves. No interviews, no slides, just stories. Some might be as short as five minutes, some may even go for 45 minutes. I hope you'll enjoy them. For this episode, we break our format again and interview two OSINT experts, Francesco Paldi and Jason Edison, also known as Nun Privacy and Dingo Snacks on Twitter. These two are commonly found sharing information on the OSINT.team server. In this Ask Me Anything, find out their thoughts on an OSINT mindset, some investigations they have dug into, and what gets them excited, and also how you can be a better OSINT investigator. Let's get started with Francesco and Jason. Hi, everyone. For this special episode of the Layer 8 podcast, we have two open source intelligence or OSINT experts from the OSINT.team server. Yes, you heard that right. It's not .com or it's not .org. It's .team, T-E-A-M, and it's open for anyone to join. That's OSINT.team. We're honored to have Jason and Francesco here. Jason, who are you? And what sorts of OSINT do you like to do? Hey, how's it going? So I am Jason Edison. Uh, for my day job, I work in law enforcement in the US. I work for a very large organization, a large municipality in the United States. I do primarily criminal intelligence uh, with some background in organized crime. So my bread and butter use of OSINT is for that, is for intelligence gathering, tracking fugitives, online investigations, cybercrime, those sorts of things. And then as a side job, I do contracting, working for Intel Techniques, Michael Bazell, teaching his live courses. Francisco, how about you? Hi, everyone. So I am uh, I'm Francisco Poldi, and I mainly develop uh, open source intelligence tools as a freelancer. But I also uh, do some research to discover new ways to get and analyze information. So let's start off with what is OSINT to you? If I go digging around on someone's Facebook page, is that OSINT? Because I also remember a meme that said OSINT is just fancy Googling, change my mind. What do you guys think about that, Francesco? Well, um, uh, getting or discovering information is uh, not enough uh, uh, to, to say that you are doing open source intelligence. You have also to provide uh, um, a context. So to basically to generate a, a simple piece of information that you can classify as intelligence, you have to get the information and provide a right context. So if you put the information in the context, you get the, the intelligence that's, uh, for me, the, the basic level, and then you go on. Jason, anything to add to that? 
No, I really like his explanation. So we say in the intelligence business, something doesn't become intelligence until it has context. So I really like that example. It's really the difference between internet research and open source intelligence is putting the information you gather in that framework so it has meaning. So I, I couldn't agree more. Great explanation. Jason, you mentioned that you helped to teach the Intel Techniques classes. One of the things that I remember hearing Michael mention on one of his podcasts, maybe you can explain this a little bit further as well. He said that anytime he finds data, he assumes it is not true until he can validate it in other ways. Is that something that you're familiar with as well? Yeah, so basically we have to vet the data. And I think that's one of the, um, I think there's a l probably more of an emphasis on that on the gov law enforcement side than maybe some other use cases for open source intelligence. And that is largely because almost everything we do, we may have to testify to it in court. And the stakes sometimes are a little higher because, you know, if the intelligence I'm gathering is used to put together a criminal case on someone, it could mean someone's freedom, right? Someone's loss of liberty. So that is a huge responsibility. And also we have legal standards having to build up things like probable cause for court. So as we're going through, we're always saying, First of all, let's get the context for the intelligence we're gathering. But secondly, that is just a lead until we can sh show substantiating information that uh, basically proves it's correct. So I think journalists probably do that a lot of that as well. Not just finding one source for information, but once we find a good lead, verifying it on several different fronts. And I would think that can also be a problem when somebody is trying to cover their tracks because we know just in our own field that lots of times people will put out false information in case somebody is actually looking for them and you might stumble across that as well. Absolutely. And, you know, right now I deal with a lot of things like swattings, you know, and, and doxings and harassment where one person might do something like Zoom bomb a meeting, say a bunch of racist things to try and incriminate someone in the conversation, but it turns out it wasn't a participant, it wasn't someone who was invited in. And taken at face value, you, you could end up wrongly accusing someone. And we never, ever want that. So we always have to triple check our work and we always have to show that, you know, beyond any doubt, the intelligence report that we're submitting is correct. I also get this question all the time. What's your favorite tool? But before you answer, I know that's a really hard question because it's like asking someone who builds houses for a living, what's your favorite tool? Because like, I love a hammer, but it's not very good at cutting wood. A power saw can be a lot of fun to use, but it's really bad at measuring. So all that being said, are there any tools that you really see as your go-to uh, that you find yourself using a lot and why? Francesco? Well, uh, as an open source uh, intelligence developer, I say that uh, my favorite tools are the ones that I develop. Jokes apart, I think that uh, we can create a standard set of tools which we can include Maltigo, for example. Punchly to collect and uh, give a structure to the information that you get uh, while uh, browsing websites. Twint, for example, which I developed, 
to get the uh, information from the tweets mainly from Twitter without using the, the API or authenticating. So you get a lot of information uh, which uh, you can then move to specific uh, ways and uh, specific targets. So I think that uh, to create your base of uh, investigation, the base of uh, the investigation, you need at least these this, uh, this tools to get uh, information from uh, those websites where there are a lot of people and uh, mainly my target. So that's what uh, I suggest. So you created Twint for getting Twitter data. Was there one use case one day that made you think like, there's a lot of information that's out there in Twitter and it's not too much fun to go gather that manually. Let me see if I can create a tool for this. Was there one day, one use case that made you think that or was it just over time seeing lots of different times that you wanted to get data from Twitter? Well, uh, to, be, to be specific and honest, I didn't create Twint, but I joined the development with another user and uh, it started from a simple script. Then we started uh, adding more and more features. Then uh, it uh, evolved in a, in a module a package. So not a simple script, but something bigger with uh, some structure. And uh, I think that uh, uh, it's really, really useful when you have to monitor specific hashtags during uh, uh, political uh, elections, for example, to monitor uh, possible polarizations of uh, what's being said. And uh, so to check and uh, find out who is uh, sharing uh, specific uh, fake news, for example, and who takes advantages from that. So how can somebody try out or get to use Twint? Where can they find that? Well, uh, Twint is free and open source and you can freely find, you, you can find it out on, uh, on GitHub. There, you, you just uh, search with Google and you will uh, quickly find it. Excellent. Jason, do you have any favorite tools that you like to use? Yes, and I am uh, going to cheat and I'm going to do two tools that kind of work hand in hand. So my big thing these days is organization and workflow. After doing this for about a decade, what I found for me is that I am not a naturally organized person. And one of the my biggest enemies is rabbit holing, get a hu getting a huge amount of intel or information, but ending up really disorganized. So Right now, the two tools that I use absolutely every day, every investigation, um, and some days, you know, I may have a dozen different 15-minute threat assessments, right? So I have a, often a high volume of work that I have to keep organized and siloed. Uh, one tab, as far as tab management in my browsers, because I'm doing a lot of research straight in the browser, not always with powerful tools, a lot of work in Google, a lot of work by hand, a lot of work manually. Being able to control my tabs, collapse them down into an exportable fashion, one tab is great for that. Also, having a searchable list of all my tabs, it saves them sort of like bookmarks uh, from previous 
searches and investigations helps. And then I like to take that out and any other collection I've done and export it into OneNote. And what I like about OneNote is, um, and that's a Microsoft product, so obviously there's privacy issues there. I work for a, uh, an organization that's a Microsoft enterprise, so I have to use it anyway. But I love that OneNote is a good, it's a powerful digital hierarchical notebook. So just like the old school notebook where we would pull out the three ring binder, we'd put in our files and our tabs and, and organize it. Really, this is the digital version of that. And so it makes a lot of sense to me. I love that I can set up my different cases into sections. I can have my subsections, my pages. But the most powerful thing of all is that it has great search functionality. Uh, I also love that I can drag and drop PDFs in there. I can put, add pictures. I can add all sorts of multimedia. And then when it comes time to convert my case into a final report, a lot of the work is done for me and it's very smooth. So these days I'm really into that workflow and basically just trying to do everything I've been doing for years, but do it more efficiently and in a cleaner fashion. And that makes my end product more polished and it also makes things a little smoother when it comes to time to testify or present my findings to someone. And I put out on Twitter a request for questions from people. So I, I got a couple back from them. And one question I got is also about the importance of your own background, skills, and knowledge compared to using tools. What skills does someone need to have to do a great OSINT investigation? And how much reliance should there be on tools? Or what other non-tools types of things should somebody be learning? Yeah, that is a tough question. And I think for me, and I, I'm probably biased because of my background, um, I, I think having a good sense of like just investigations, like what it is to dig in and hunt for people, I think you really have to understand the culture of the person or the group that you're looking into because that's that context. And if you don't understand their culture, if you can't empathize with them, you're missing a lot. I know on, a, on some of your other episodes, talking to folks who do social engineering, that's a huge thing, understanding culture, because you really, and, and that empathy, because if you can't appreciate the person, even if it's someone who you don't agree with or, or a bad person, if you can't put yourself in their shoes, you are not going to do a, the best job possible investigating them or infiltrating them. And so I really appreciate when I hear the social engineering folks talk about that because we use that on the investigative side as well. For me personally, I spent a lot of years doing undercover and I know that has paid off long term. Um, just a quick anecdote, I can remember a few years ago going through doing my uh, ethical hacking certification, and I'm going through this class, and it's me and 29 IT engineers, and I have no technical background. I'm in way over my head, and I'm like, I am by far the dumbest person in this class, and so I'm really struggling with the technical portion, but there was other points, and, and by the end of the week, because we did it boot camp style, I thought, you know, I am the dumbest person in this class, but what I noticed the rest of the class was missing was that context of really understanding criminals. Because I remember thinking, 
no one in here has ever actually spent time with criminals. And that cultural advantage of having gone out and literally hung out with people and realizing, you know, criminals are people too. They have their own motivations. They're not black and white. They're not, you know, there's very few truly evil people. Like they want something or they're desperate for something. And that sort of experience has proven to be priceless long term. So when I am talking to people getting into the game of OSINT, I usually try and part like if you can find an opportunity to expose yourself to some different parts of the discipline. But for example, for me now, that's exposing myself to IT folks, right? I don't have an IT background. So I try and learn the way that people who are doing pen testing or different forms of IT security, how do they do OSINT? Because that's a cultural piece that I'm missing that I'm trying to build. So I think, you know, folding back on what we opened the podcast with, it is doing whatever you can to gain that, that sense of context and cultural awareness. Yeah, I think those are great points because when I recently spoke to Christina Licati, she has a psychology background. I was just amazed with her story where she talked about how she needed to talk to and get information from her target. And one of the ways that she did that was she was able to actually read the person and understand that the person was a narcissist with a big ego. So she was able to play that off and kind of stay away from him a little bit and wait for him to come to her. She said that she went into different forums to figure out like what is all the different lingo that they use? What are some of the terms? And she even admitted like I had no idea what I was talking about. She said she literally copied and pasted from some forums into the one where her target was, which eventually did play to his ego and eventually he did come to her. So she was totally playing up that whole understanding his background, understanding who he is in getting him to, to come to her using that social engineering. And that was just an amazing story to me. Yeah, that's fantastic. Understanding hu human nature, right? Because it's all about a game of figuring out other people's moves and seeing if you uh, can basically steer them. I love how the social engineering folks, I, I think it's pretty universally agreed. If you can get the opposition to make the pitch, right? We, especially like the worst thing is cold calling. When I used to do undercover a lot, the worst thing you could do is have to walk up on the street and, you know, I want to buy this or do this. What you want to do is have the time to gently steer without their knowledge, the person into approaching you because you want the idea to be in their head. And OSIN is no different. If you have that, that understanding of people, you will be so much more successful. Absolutely. Yeah. I have another podcast episode uh, with uh, Derek Lavasser. Uh, he's an undercover police officer um, and he also does some TV work on doing investigations. And in that episode, he also talks about similar things where he doesn't just cold call and go right up to the target. He kind of works his way in with people around the target, which was kind of a, an interesting discussion with him. Absolutely. Like there's all those, like really on all sides, it's a game of tricks, right? But you, you need that foundation. I, I know when I used to do undercover, one of my deals was to always have something that's a little bit odd. And it's a, I, I don't know what the psychology is behind it, but it's things like walking down the street. If you're looking to approach someone and, and maybe you don't have time to slow play it, 
adding something to the equation that's a little bit unusual draws the person's attention and distracts them. So something like holding a large stuffed animal, like it throws them off psychologically and they're really focused on what is the deal with this large, you know, like goofy stuffed animal. And then that prevents them from really wondering about other oddities of the scenario. So that's one little trick that has gotten me over the hump of some of those, like, I don't have a lot of time to play this. So it's like the magician holding up one hand and waving it at you. So you look at that and then you don't notice the small subtleties that are going on in the background. So just a warning now, if you see somebody coming up to you with a large stuffed animal to be aware. Absolutely, Ryan. Francesco, I'm guessing sometimes people come to you and say, I want to do what you do. What do I need to do? How do I learn how to do it? What do I need to think about? What kind of advice do you give to people that, are, that want to do the types of things that you do in OSINT? You don't have uh, to worry about your background because, for example, my background in the academy is a science, so you can you, you don't need uh, to to worry about that. You have just uh, as, as a starting point, you have you have to figure out where you want to go, where you want uh, to to arrive, and so you from the end point you start creating your road going back to the starting point where you are right now. And, uh, and then you, you try to create uh, a way that you could follow. And then, and then you, you start uh, with uh, a lot of fantasy, I guess, because there are a lot of things that there's not uh, only Twitter as social. You can start uh, with uh, Gab. So, for example, taking as an example gab.io, you can, with your simple browser, you don't have to start with Python or scripts or specific environments. You can start with your simple browser and try to understand how that website works with your browser. So, how the browser gets the information from the website are they using the API? Is the API, are the API request authenticated? How? And then you basically recreate the workflow of your browser with a simple script so that you can automate with the script. You can automate what your browser would do. So that's what I suggest as to start. So. And it, this works as well for uh, other platforms like uh, Telegram, Discord, and VK, uh, and many, many other. It's a, it's a general rule from my, my point of view. You have to uh, try to understand how the browser works, how it fetches the information from uh, the server, and how you can replicate that workflow. Also, how important do you think it is to have the right just mindset for OSINT? I would think to get to find somebody that's going to be a great OSINT investigator, it's going to be somebody who is very curious, somebody that never quits, somebody that has a lot of patience. And is that the type of thing that you ever discuss with people that want to break into the field and they don't know, is this something that I can do? Is that 
kind of a, a thing that you might talk about with somebody? The mindset is, is you, you don't come to the world with the right mindset. You learn, you fail, and you understand why you fail it. So you can build uh, and you can learn how to create your mindset. So if you fail, if uh, you have uh, a lot of BS at the, the beginning, you don't, you don't have to, to worry about uh, this too much because uh, even the, the experts fail. So a mindset is not something that's given to you by God. It's something that you create and that you build with the experience. And the making experience means also failing. That, that's my words. As, as, as mindset, this is what I have to explain and I have to say with my experience. So it's a, it's a lot of hard work that somebody needs to put yeah, in. Yeah, and you don't, you don't have to, to give up any time, even if... You think it's uh, the right thing uh, to do? Just don't do. Just don't do it because uh, that's where the experts go go through. So I also recently spoke to Nico or Dutch OSINT guy on his episode. He talked about an investigation he did where he was given a first name and some other small pieces of information, and was asked to prove whether the target was or had been a member of Al-Qaeda. When I heard that, I thought there's no way that this can be done. And then he did it. Have there ever been investigations that you've done that when you started, you thought to yourself, there's no way I'm going to find very much on this. And then it turned out by putting the pieces together, you found a lot more than you expected. Have either of you ever come across a situation like that? So I can give you kind of a war story or an example that is along those lines and supports what you were just talking about, which is that importance of persistence and tenacity. Similar to Dutch's scenario, we had, and I have to be a little bit careful here about the specifics, but we had a uh, tip on a domestic terrorist. So that's someone in the, in the nation who's planning an act of great harm, mass casualty incident. In this case, it was kill you know, hundreds of children, adults, basically do a huge, commit a huge shocking event to, um, you know, shock and awe and make people fearful. And this was not a foreign national. This was someone who was a U.S. citizen who had, for for whatever reason, um, decided they were going to do this big bad thing. Unfortunately, we had multiple tips on it, but we did not have any images of the person. We had a name. But as I started doing my OSINT research, and at that point, it was pretty early in the OSINT game for me, but it was far enough in that my bosses had decided it was magical. And so there was this high expectation that I would instantly provide this complete profile on this bad guy. And the problem was, I quickly noticed, um, as I'm sure you've seen in some of your investigations, like a very distinct absence of social media and information on this person. He was in his early 20s, and it was at a time that everyone in the early 20s in the US had a Facebook page and a Twitter account and those sorts of things. So when I noticed there was absolutely nothing, and I started to go back through some archives and see that there used to be stuff 
like three years prior, it became clear that he had purposely sanitized his digital life right? As, as just as we train people to go through and do their opt-outs and clean up their social media, he had done an exquisite job of disappearing. Likewise, he had no department of licensing. He didn't have a driver's license. So we had no way to get a photo. So we have all these surveillance teams, physical surveillance teams running around trying to get eyes on this guy before he does this horrible thing. And, but we don't even know what he looks like. So I start, because I know his name, figuring out whose family members are, and as we do in OSINT, pivoting off of them, figure out that inner circle, and then really just start doing manual digging. And that's what I always try to impart to folks who are just getting into this. It is that very much not sexy, tenacious, just digging that often pays off the, you know, in the end. It's not, there's not always a magical tool. There's not always a magical trick. So I literally spent probably five days manually digging through hundreds of accounts and eventually found a Facebook page of a cousin and an aunt in a comment on one of the photos, which showed a large group of people said, hey, is that Brian in the back? What happened to all of his hair? Because the individual had changed his physical appearance as well. And that gave us our first real photo. So we were able to send out to our surveillance teams, this is who we're looking for. Long story short, that rolled into us putting undercovers into him, supplying him with inert explosives and automatic weapons. He shows up to do the bad deed. We're able to arrest him because he's done a significant step. And there was a bunch of team effort that went into that. But my, for my little piece, it really just involved buckling down for days and days and looking through like a mind-numbing amount of accounts. And, you know, there probably was this quicker way to get there, but that got the job done. And a lot of times, OSIN isn't sexy. It is just work. Along those lines, one of the things that I've wondered about you know, when you're just putting your head down and digging, 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 and it, it eventually pays off. But how do you deal with the idea of like rabbit holes and under and start realizing to yourself, like, I'm going down way too deep here. Let me go choose a different path, a different thread. Do you have any kind of thoughts on how you make those decisions? Yeah. And some of that is instinct and experience, but a lot of it is triage. So what I always try and do going into a situation is do an like take 30 seconds and just like any sort of incident management or crisis management, how much time do I have before I need to have some type of an answer, even if that answer is we know nothing. And then I need to prioritize, like identify my questions. It's analysis 101. What am I trying to answer? What is the number one thing we need to know? Set everything else aside. And then when I dive in, it is with though that focus. And what I need to do is if I have 20 minutes, I need to dive deep and fast looking for just those things. Now, if it's a long-term investigation, long-term infiltration, that's a completely different scenario, and I'm going to go down all those additional rabbit holes. But um, I, I just like to think of that as triage. And the number one advice I can give folks is if you can clearly identify the number one question you are trying to answer, that will help you stay focused and save time. Francesco, has there been any kind of time when you were faced with an investigation that you thought was going to be 
extremely difficult, if not impossible, but it turned out that you were able to kind of piece together and piece and piece and piece and eventually get the solution you were looking for? Yeah. Well, uh, I have uh, two stories to tell. Excellent. Uh, they are quite similar, but with different ends. The first, the first story is uh, a while ago, I was trying to uh, identify the IP address behind a given website, but uh, this website is uh, still using, was and still using Cloudflare as a proxy to masquerade the, the actual IP of the true server, of the server where the information resides. They were, the, the actors behind this uh, website are quite skilled because uh, in the DNS uh, records, there's nothing that's not uh, an uh, IP connected to Cloudflare. So I, I have, I had uh, a few ways to, to actually find the, the IP and uh, one of those that I choose is uh, uh, trying to uh, reverse uh, the IP with the the favicon the, the favicon icon, which is the icon that identifies the website. So I started trying to uh, understand how, for example, Shodan is uh, uh, memorizing the favicon hash in their database, and uh, this way has been quite time consuming because uh, the information of uh, how Showdown encodes and uh, produces the hash of a given Fabicon. It was not uh, so public uh, as uh, other ways uh, and uh, other techniques maybe. So I spent a lot of time uh, trying to solve the puzzle with uh, this tool, but then at, only at, uh, at the end I realized that I could I could have uh, find the right IP just searching with the title of the website on Shodan. So this is just to say that uh, sometimes spending a lot of time and keep trying is uh, not the best way if uh, you have other ways that uh, require less time to produce the same result. Another story was uh, uh, to find uh, uh, an actor behind a, a Discord server. The problem was that uh, the newcomers were not able to to read uh, previous uh, previous all the messages. So you you weren't able to to understand uh, what have been said and uh, a lot of information were missing. So I started searching uh, in the profiles of the administrators, and then I found a website, a name of a website, and given the website, I found a company connected to the website. They were providing some IT solution, and, and so with the VAT number of this company, I figured out who was behind the, the website, and so who, who was managing the Discord server. That's excellent. Th those sound like a whole lot of fun. And what type of investigations, Francesco, get you really excited? What kind do you really like to dig into? Or what is rewarding and fun for you with investigations? So uh, I mainly like uh, to de-anonymize uh, users 
behind the uh, Telegram channels, behind Telegram groups uh, and the Discord servers. So I like to search for similar nicknames and uh, and uh, to connect different channels because maybe someone is promoting uh, another channel or another group by sharing the join link, which uh, you need to join the, the private channels and groups. So that's uh, a really, really important information. And another issue with uh, join links is that uh, they are temporary. So uh, the admin can regenerate another one and uh, making the previous one useless. So I really like to collect and uh, aggregate information from different sources and uh, try to understand the structure behind the, the actors because uh, I, a lot of times, I found that they, they don't have only a, a group or a Telegram channel, but they have, they have Twitter groups, they have websites, they have Discord servers, so they have a lot of a, a big footprint in the internet. So I like to aggregate separated information, basically. That's great because for the Layer 8 conference, now that we're going to be all online and virtual, we'll be using a Discord server with that. So maybe if somebody misbehaves in there, we can have you kind of uh, figure out who they are for us. Yeah, maybe. Why not? Jason, what kind of investigations really get you excited since you, you know, do them for your, your job? So I'm sure there are some that you're just like, yeah, that's a, another one of those. But which ones get you excited? You know, for me, my pet peeve is um, what I call internet punks. And that is, you know, folks who, you know, the internet is great power. Anonymity is fantastic power and it really brings out the best and worst of human nature. People do amazing things. But then we've got groups of people that completely lack any sort of human empathy and are there just to harm people. And, you know, Along the lines of de-anonymizing, I love the rare chances we get to find those people who are doing things like revenge porn, cyber harassment, any of those things, and taking the mask off them and getting them in an interview room. Because I will tell you, you know, and uh, unfortunately, it's mostly young men. They're so bold and and blustering and boasting online and just absolutely ruining people's lives. And what have I, I have found is once you take that an anonymity away and you get them face-to-face -face in an interview room, they cry every single time. They just break down blubbering because they are cowards, because that is a cowardly crime. And so that is the most satisfying to me is to take those people who are ruining lives and sort of uh, flip the tables on them. And uh, it, it, it's, it's super frustrating that we're not able to accomplish that more. We just don't have the resources. But the, the times that we are able to bring people in, um, it, it, it kind of keeps me going, keeps, keeps the engine fueled a little bit. So when you reference the revenge porn, have you been able to interact with or work with the, the badass army and Caitlin Bowden yet? I haven't interacted with them, but I follow all of her stuff. I follow like that topic is one of the topics we deal with a lot because we deal with a lot of domestic violence, stalking, those sorts of things in law enforcement. It's a huge, huge problem. So I try to stay up on who the players are because we learn from all those people. Yes, for sure. 
So, um, Francesco, if somebody, this is kind of similar to a question that we talked about a little bit already, but if somebody wants to get started in OSINT investigating, uh, what sorts of resources, videos, classes, how can somebody actually get started? Somebody, I hear this kind of thing a lot, like I'm very interested in, in doing OSINT, I want to do that as a career. How can I get started? What resources should I use? There are some remote classes, uh, like uh, the ones of, uh, on Udemy, which are recorded classes. But uh, I also suggest to go to conferences, because uh, many conferences do training sessions, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of talks are inspiring, may inspire you uh, to start and uh, see how they do they do it and how you can uh, basically follow the experts and understanding why they did moves why they did follow uh, specific ways and basically you understand doing on on field with experience but uh, yeah i suggest to go to local uh, conferences or, or even remote ones as a Defcon, uh, Black Hat, they do a lot of uh, a lot of labs and training sessions. Jason, what kind of advice or tips do you give people that ask looking to start up? So I I think absolutely figuring out and getting yourself involved in the different communities like OSINT.team. I mean, I'm, I'm on there every day, not, not always contributing, but following. And I love it because it's international. And I do a lot of domestic work, but every once in a while, my bad guys aren't in the U.S. And so it's great to be able to reach out on there and say, hey, who knows something about the Ukraine and finding people in the Ukraine or, or so on and so forth. The other advice I would give is if at all possible, if you can find a mentor or an internship opportunity or just volunteering, especially when you're getting started, it's a little bit chicken and egg because folks are going to say, well, we're not going to hire you unless you have experience, but I can't get experience until I get a job. So uh, I would absolutely absorb everything you can get, join all the communities, read all the books. Anytime there's any sort of training that you can feasibly get to, go to it. Listen to all the podcasts. I, I still you know, sleep very little because I'm up every night after my day job studying, listening, learning from all the smarter people. Uh, and I will tell you, uh, we've started bringing interns through from a local university and watching them come through and being able to be exposed to real investigations, like, it's amazing. Because then when they go back to school, that gives them that context when they're learning the academic portion for how it's really applied to the real world. So if you can find that, and when what I would challenge people to do is make the opportunity happen. Don't wait for someone offer to offer it to you. Go out and say, hey, I like your organization. Do you need an extra set of hands? Do you need an extra brain on this? I will donate some of my time. And in exchange, I just want to learn from you. So um, that, that exact thing has happened to me before. And there's a lot of us who have more work than we have time. So go out, volunteer, get to know the people. That's great advice for that kind of thing. We've had another uh, podcast guest and speaker at Lair 8, Wondersmith Ray. She's a student in Pennsylvania, and she's done all those kinds of things as well. I think I 
first got introduced to her on one of the message boards, one of the forums. And since then, it's just amazing to see the amount of work that she has done and the growth that she has had doing all those exact types of steps, coming to conferences, working for various people, and just the kind of stuff that she's done has also been amazing by following that exact path that you just described. Yeah, that's fantastic. There's no, there's no better way to go. If you've got the time, um, absolutely get to know the people. So you also mentioned, we started off describing osint.team. You mentioned how that's kind of a, a great place. If somebody has not heard of osint.team and they're interested, why should somebody jump in? Why should they join it? What types of people on there? What are, what's somebody with interest in OSINT going to get out of joining osint.team? So I know for me, the great thing is, again, I'm from the investigative side of the house. I'm from the law enforcement side of the house. I'm from the U.S. side of the house. So that's a smaller box that it felt than it felt like in the beginning. What I have learned is there's a whole nother big world out there and people who have much stronger skills and things like investigating domains because they're from the infosec side of the house. There's people with different perspectives, people who understand the different cultures. And that's really been the best part of the OSINT.team group is it is a lot more diverse than we get in some other communities. I and mean, we have our own forums on our site, but that is a lot of people who do the same job and have the same missions and think the same. And that is useful for certain things, and it certainly narrows the focus, but on, you can't thrive on that alone. You need to put yourself out there, learn from some of these folks who have different life experiences and different skill sets. And like I'm meeting, I'm meeting folks like you all that are actually building the tools and doing the things, whereas I'm more of the guy in the troops who's using them. So it, it's been really fantastic. It's allowed me to meet a lot of people and really diversify my skill set. And this also sounds like another place where somebody's imposter syndrome could really kick in where you see all these people on there with all these great skills and somebody might think to themselves, well, I don't have those kinds of skills. Where that one person thinking that has a skill in some area that's going to be valuable to you, Jason, or to you, Francesco, because they don't have the same experience. And it's, it sounds like what you're describing is that's one of the things that really makes it great is just kind of being able to be around all these people with all these different resources, different skills, and virtually anybody can kind of jump on there and have something to offer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what my dream is, is the next iteration of that is some way to vet people into a community where we could actually tackle real problems in real cases. So similar to what happens with like Trace Labs, but on a little bit broader scale. Uh, though I will say, you know, full disclosure, one of the downsides of something like Team is like any online community, we want to let as many people in as possible, but you're not always sure that everyone in the, in the space is friendly or everyone in this space has good intentions in mind. So I don't know how to take it to the next level, but um, I'm, I'm hopeful that that will eventually happen. Somebody with a great skill set for that, with a great skill set for organizing, sort of like you've done with the conference, right? Pulling people together who are, are like-minded. I would love to see that applied to things like crimes against children, um, human trafficking, some of those different problems. 
Francesco, what sorts of benefits and what do you really like about OSINT team? What do you like to use it for? I like OSINT.team because there are different people, different stories. Everyone has a, his experience or her experience because there are a lot of women. There are a lot of women in the OSINT field and in generally in the intelligence field. So I like it because uh, there are different people with similar needs and uh, we can connect our experience so we can grow together and be better for the future, basically, yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you to both of you for doing this. This has been a whole lot of fun and really informative on how to get additional information about doing OSINT investigations and how somebody can start becoming an investigator, as well as a lot of the resources that is available out there to people. So thank you, Francesco. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for joining us with this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.